It's episode 74 of the Improv London podcast. I'm your host, Stuart Moses, and this week's guest is Emily Brady. Hello! Hello, how are you? I'm good, how are you? <laughs> very well, I'm very well. Um, you're from Nottingham. I am from Nottingham, but for, I, I am from London originally, wow. so it's not too controversial. <laughs> you don't have to establish your credentials here, you're not just <laughs> friends here. Um, yeah, I, I, I suppose the only reason I called this the Improv London podcast is because I'm in London and I wanted to talk about improv. It was certainly never, yeah. you know, I don't want to speak to anyone anywhere else. Yeah, but, but for the record, I was born in Whips Cross, so... Right, okay, fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> for the hate mail. <laughs> Yeah. Um, how how did you get into improv in the first place? What's your sort of improv origin story? Well, um, I grew up watching. I, I know it's such a cliche, but I grew up watching Whose Lines It Anyway, and just being obsessed with it. Um, and I just I wanted to do it. I loved it. I did a lot of theatre. I did a lot of musicals as a kid. Um, and I had a, a moment when I was probably like sixteen, and I went to the Globe, and the Comedy Store players were performing there. And um, I was, I was like, still really, really into improv, and I, I really wanted to do it, but I was a bit like, oh, it just seems like so inaccessible, like a completely different world. And um, it was like the, the comedy store players and Greg Proops was in it. And um, afterwards, I went to the stage door, and all the comedy store players were up on a balcony. And um, I was like, I want to ask for their autograph, but I'm so terrified. And um, Richard Ranch like, saw me, and came all the way down the stairs and got a piece of paper and then went all the way back up and got more to sign oh. it and then came all the way back down. And he, he just, he said something to me like, oh, are you a fan of improv? And I was like, I think I, I said something like, oh yeah, but I could never do it like that. And he was like, no, you definitely should. And from then I was just like, okay. Oh, brilliant. So um, yeah, I was applying to unis and um, I went to the uni of Nottingham and I saw that they had an improv society and I was just like, yeah, that's it. Like. It's probably a sh like quite shameful how much of the reason that I went to Nottingham was because <laughs> of that society. Wow. Um, but yeah, I went along and they had, they had troop auditions and I auditioned and I got in and yeah, that was it really. I sort of, I was in that for two years and then I took a break from improv for a couple of years because I lived in America for a year. Um, and then I moved back to Nottingham recently and I've fallen in with Miss Imp, which oh, right. is the Nottingham non-uni improv group. Um, right. There's also another one called Nice, which is brilliant, but Miss Imp is the one that I tend to slot in with the best. Cool. Uh, so, uh, yeah, how did you get involved with Miss Imp and how does it work and that sort of thing? Yeah, um, so Miss Imp has a few performance troops um, and I was just incredibly lucky that, um, so the musical one that they have, um, Rhymes Against Humanity, had been going for a year when I moved back and a couple of people had just dropped out. Um, and so I just went along to a Miss Imp um, show that wasn't a musical show and mentioned to someone who I used to know from my time in the uni of improv that, oh, I'd love to like do maybe do some improv and do some musical improv again. And um, she, Marilyn, um, she literally grabbed me by the arm and dragged me into a back room and was like pitching it to me for like a solid hour. And I was like, you don't need to pitch this to me. Like, I'm sold. Um, so I auditioned and um, my, my, it was a great audition because it wasn't like a formal intimidating setup. It was um, me and another guy, Pete, we were invited into a rehearsal and it was all just very much if it clicked, then it, was, it would be great. If it didn't, then we'd see where we were. Yeah. Um, but it was, I was very, very rusty. I, um, 
I, uh, it was a lot of open scenes and afterwards I realised that I'd completely ripped off a chorus from um, that musical episode of Buffy <laughs> and I was like that was a really catchy chorus and oh god it was literally that but thankfully no one in the room had seen that episode of Buffy or they just didn't mention it and I've to my knowledge never ripped off anything since. I mean the thing is that there are only so many combinations of notes and as long as you weren't trying to manufacture it so that that scene came about so you could sing the song verbatim. No. Although there's part of me that really wants to do that. Um, I know you put that idea in my head. Um, You know there are only so many choruses and if you take it in a different context then you know what can you do. Um, I was recently at the Mayday's retreat and uh, we did uh, Katie Shoot did uh, movie songs in which we were invited to pitch a scene from a film and then we were to sing a song based on that situation uh, in the film and I pitched the uh, pilot of Buffy uh, and I got to play Giles. Um, oh that's the dream. Well it wasn't very much the dream uh, and uh, Jenny who had never seen Buffy uh, played Buffy very well and uh, we, we, we tapped into the essential um, dichotomy of her, her destiny as a slayer and uh, you know, wanted to be popular at school. So that's that a yeah. really lovely moment. Oh, I don't know if I should confess this on like an auditory format that can be sued, but I did um, a few weeks ago in a show, we were doing a, a show that we got the title from the audience, uh, Cannibals in Love. Right. Which is just like a, a beautiful title to get. <laughs> it's just, you know, like there's relationships, there's... Co- you're just like, we can just like... It's, it's going to be a certain degree of good with a title that good. <laughs> and I ended up doing a verse that was just a parody of Taylor's oldest time, except about how I wanted to eat the person I was in the scene with. <laughs> and afterwards I was like, that was very just me changing the words of an existing song, but it was only for a bit of a song, and I, I think it was fine. I think that, that comes <laughs> under fair use. I reckon that's sampling. Uh, so yeah, let's talk about uh, the sort of average Rhymes Against Humanity show. Um, what do you call out for and then what sort of format do you follow? Uh, well, it really, it depends on the show a bit. Um, what we tend to do ideally is we'll get a hat and um, we'll have a little sign that says, please put titles for musicals in a hat. Um, and we do say, no Brexit or Trump. Yes, Because I think improv's supposed to be about fun and escape and oh God, like none of us want that at the moment. Every week. <laughs> You'd just be doing it every week. I mean, I feel sorry for showstoppers and yeah. people like that because it's like, Oh, here we go again. Yeah, yeah. When um, in Edinburgh, I've seen Baby Wants Candy, and it was just like chance Trump, and I was like, this is really uncomfortable for so many reasons. Yeah, oh, wow. <laughs> That's, yeah. How did they tackle that? Um, I think they were quite good about that, and then they went for an equally hilarious title that was right. about something else. Yes. Um, but we, what I like about the way that we do titles is um, we'll tend to get two or three out of a hat, and then the, audi- the audience is encouraged to cheer for which one they like. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so that way you tend to get, like, you know, it's proven that it's improvised because you're giving them a choice. Yes. Um, and it's just a more rounded way of doing it, I think. Yes, and you're not beholden to just taking the first suggestion. You're going to take a suggestion, but it's going to be the best one that you can. Um, and I love getting people to write stuff down. Yeah. Because shouting stuff out appeals to a certain demographic, but it doesn't appeal to everybody. And also, you get complexity and subtlety lost if you have to shout something out. Which, if you get it written down, that's a lovely thing. Yeah. Um, so, so you'll 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 get a get a suggestion for a musical, and then what will happen? Yeah, well, we always um, tend to open with a really high energy opening number, mm-hmm. um, and we sort of 
it's fairly flexible the way that we do that. Um, so sometimes it will be like a line at a time song and then a chorus. So it will be a verse and a verse from different people in a chorus. Um, sometimes it's all about creating like scenescapes where people are doing different things and creating an environment. Um, my favourite way to start is probably when you match each other and someone starts with a sound and a movement and then yes. you um, like go from there. Like the Maydays are just the masters of that. Yes. I've, I saw them do that in Edinburgh and it was um, about a coffin making shop and they were, oh god, it was just incredible. Um, but so yeah, we've, we've kind of shamelessly stolen that. Shh. <laughs> no, I think you've learned from the best there. Um, and I love matching. I love I love matching somebody because it's like I don't know what to do. Oh look, there's someone doing something. I'll <laughs> just do that. And then that, that suddenly that's a brilliant thing to do. It's like well, I didn't really do anything. I'm just copying what the other person does as accurate as I can. And yeah. you know, no, I love that. Um, so you say in the opening song. Uh, the, the format can change so sometimes one person will sing one verse sometimes one person will do a line how do you make sure you don't all start singing at the same time flamboyance flamboyance so, <laughs> excellent I, I, so I think it's just like we really clearly signpost when it's like I'm going forward for a line and then you back off really quickly to give people enough time to think of a rhyme and to go in um, it's not something we normally agree on in advance it right. just sort of happens and I think it depends on the kind of song that it is as well like um, we don't tend to start musicals with somber numbers, but if it's a bit more downbeat and atmospheric, then it tends to be like a bit more grounded in like one person doing something at a time and the rest of everyone else building up the atmosphere. Whereas if it's quite high paced and energetic, it just kind of makes sense to have one person doing each line because then it's like bouncy and keeping up with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and you have an accompanist. Yes, we do. We have two. Two. Uh, we and they're both called Sam, which that is makes brilliant easier. to rem um, remember. <laughs> We've got Sam Plummer and Sam Marshall, um, and they're both phenomenal pianists. Um, and we've just invested in a drum machine, which is the best thing. <laughs> like, oh my god, I can't even begin to tell you. Like, it's transformative. Just what's the drum machine brought to it? Oh, it's just it gives it. I don't know. It's so much more um, like energy and drive behind it, and. I, it's probably a subconscious thing, but um, I found myself making a lot more like physical dance choices when there's a yes. drum beat. Because yes. with the piano, like a lot of the times you sort of stamp your foot, your foot to create a beat, or you just the, the tendency can be to sometimes just stay in place. But when there's a drum beat, it's very, very quick to find the rhythm yeah, 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 and yeah. smooth with that. So yeah. oh, I love having a drum machine. Um, and we're also really lucky because one of our members, uh, Liam, he can also play the saxophone. Oh, wow. And that's been really interesting to experiment with because like, I always kind of thought that the saxophone in a song like replaces the vocal. So you think of like Baker Street, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but it can work like really, really well. Wow. And create some really, really like brilliant sounds. So he'll just be performing and then you'll just like reach over and then just pull out a saxophone start playing yeah, it. Yeah, I think that's yeah. the end game. Um, at the moment it's been like he will either sit out of a run and do that oh, or right. he'll like come in. There's also been f like a tiny flute in some runs. <laughs> wow. So I, d I don't know, like you suddenly realise that all these people can play instruments and you're just a bit like, whoa. But isn't it, yeah, it's lovely. I mean, much, you know, it's great just having a, you know, a piano accompanist or a guitarist or anything, but if you've just suddenly got these extra instruments coming in, it's yeah. like, for the audience, it's like, oh, what, what's that? And it's like, oh, wow, you can do that as well. And that can bring in something else as well. Yeah, yeah. it's lovely. Rumours persist that um, we're doing our show at the Nottingham Playhouse in a few weeks on the 28th of October, I think. <laughs> um, and Sam 
Marshall can play the violin. Wow. Um, and it's a spooky, haunted musical idea. Yep. So if we could have a violin in there, that would be really, really cool. <laughs> but I don't know if that will happen. Right. It might be too scary for the audience. <laughs> Maybe next year. Yeah. <laughs> um, so once you've done um, an opening song, how do you then lead into what follows? Um, so what we tend to like to do is start with a really a, a, a strong protagonist scene with a very, very clear I want song. Right. Um, which are, are great to do. I think... Um, occasionally, one of my weaknesses is that I, I tend to overcomplicate things because I'm like, <laughs> how can just me wanting more like a Disney princess be compelling? But then, of course, it is. Um, so it always tends to be... We're, we're quite a large troop. We're about uh, nine people when we're at Alpha List. Right. Um, so there can be quite a lot of people on stage. But I think one, one of my, the things I love about um, playing with rhymes is just that everyone is so like able to give up space like no one's ever vying for the spotlight right. it's a very collaborative troupe yeah 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 um and i've um and i just think it's a really really nice way to improvise to yes. like know that someone's always got your back and yes. like oh i can take a solo here if i want to or it can be a great group number where everyone's going to come in the back and support me yeah, yeah. um the last run we did at the playhouse um i ended up playing beyonce right nice which was great cuz um i hadn't gone on until um, we tend to like to establish everything in the first three scenes right. as much as possible. Yeah. Um, so obviously there's room for like playing around outside of that, but I think th the audience will probably begin to lose interest if you introduce too many characters after a certain point. Yeah, you want to create, 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 and then you want to start reincorporating, reincorporating. Yeah, playing with what you, yeah, playing yeah, with yeah, what yeah. you have. Um, and so it was sort of the third scene, and I hadn't been on stage yet, and I was like, oh, I really. Like, I, I guess I'll just come on and like be supporting characters and do a lot of background dancing. And this mad scientist character went, if only Beyonce was here. And I was like, right, that's, <laughs> that's an offer. Well, see, that's fine. If you were constantly casting yourself as Beyonce, <laughs> I feel that that would be a time for the take you aside. It's like, we love you as Beyonce, but does it have to be every week? Whereas if someone's endowed, you know, that is, that's a lovely opportunity. Yeah. So, um, if, when one is um, performing as Beyonce, <laughs> how does one embody uh, Beyonce. Oh, I think this was last year. Uh, well, it wasn't last year. It was this year. It was February, um, and it was just after she'd announced her pregnancy. Right. So I was just massively pregnant and like, <laughs> did a lot of like warbling <laughs> and kept saying I'm Beyonce <laughs> just in case the audience had forgot. I think that's a very good tip. Yeah, because uh, I, 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 I have a very con like with fourth walling in improv, it's. It's such a thing where I, on th in, like in paper, I'm like, no, you don't do that. You commit yeah. to the reality. But at the same time, sometimes it's like, it's quite funny to just be like, I'm Beyonce and just keep checking in with the audience yeah, to make yeah, sure yeah. they haven't forgotten. Um, I've been reading uh, a bit about clowning and the idea that, um, you know, the fourth wall exists being quite a, a recent invention and actually, you know, clocking the audience checking in how they're doing, how they're enjoying it. It's a really interesting tool. And, you know, I wouldn't say I'd use it all the time, but it's just like, yeah. there, there are times when it's just useful to have that in your tool belt. Yeah, well, the, um, the first show I did at the Edinburgh Fringe was a show called um, Unstable Fables. And it was a musical Harold, basically. Um, but the kind of the trick to the show was that it was all about sort of moral choices. So every now and again, we'd stop the action and we'd go to the audience and we'd ask them what choices we, we'd sort of present them with a kind of telltale game style choice and they'd have to pick one. Yeah. 
and that would sort of then propel the story forwards. All right, that's a nice idea. Or not, if they chose, <laughs> if they chose poorly. But that never happened in a live show. So <laughs> one would hope if you are giving the uh, audience options that you would be able to favour it into two interesting directions, or is that not? Well, yeah, I remember one show I did where um, I was a spoilt little rich girl and um, one of the other improvisers was a gorilla in a cage and he was like please let me out and so I went to the audience and I was like should I let him out of the cage and then I as I was as the words were coming out of my mouth I was like god what a terrible terrible thing to like put to an audience because if they say no nothing is gonna happen in this scene but thankfully the audience was kind and they were like yeah I was like great yes I suppose with the benefit of hindsight you should choose whether or not the gorilla is going to come out of the cage but then you should give them the option of I don't know, something else is hard. It's not yeah. that easy even then. We're not even on stage now. Yeah. Um, so uh, once you've done the opening song, and so you would do a scene into an I Want song to establish the protagonist? Yeah, or? typically. Yeah. And then, so you say so you have three scenes to try and establish the world? Yes, you... as far as possible. Um, so we always try and work in a really strong antagonist, and we... Um, or normally have quite a a lot of fun with playing comic relief as well. Right, yeah, yeah. Um, but sometimes the comic relief really links into the story. Um, so, like, you know, if there's a bit of a disconnect between the protag and the antag, then it's like, oh, we need a sort of bridge and this will be a bridge. Or um, it's just pointless comic relief. Right, okay, cool. Um, and I... I have a very... Um, my, my kind of instinct in improv is to be quite emotional. Right, yes. Um, and I'm quite often, when I try to play like the comic relief or the villain, um, I often find myself like kind of, because I think my default thing to do in a scene is to fall back on emotion and making emotional choices. Um, so sometimes I struggle playing comic relief a bit because it's like, it's a way of trying to ground it in emotion without just making the emotion the only thing. Yes, um, I'm because I'm in very much the same way. Um, and one for grounding any character I play in emotion. Playing the truth of that emotion is very much my way into a scene. Yeah. Um, so actually, playing the antagonist plays into that for me because if you can, you know, make the antagonist emotionally real, that's kind of all right. I've never done well at playing comic relief unless I play with somebody else mm -hmm. who is very good at playing comic relief and then I can play it straight and I can play the emotion of it and then that will work but yeah. I've yet to discover how to do comic relief yeah. how to be funny yeah I, I sometimes struggle playing villains because um, I I think it's I struggle to make them this sounds like such a humble brag <laughs> but I tend to be quite emotional and so sometimes they come across a bit too sympathetic and I'm like no no I'm a jerk I'm really really mean honest Oh no, but if your antagonist has got, um, they're, they're much more effective if you know if there's a reason for why they're doing something rather than you know, yeah. just because they're evil. Yeah, and probably like villain songs are just so much fun. Yes. I love a good villain song. Like um, everyone in rhymes is really, really good at them, and ah, oh, it's just it's just diabolical. Because I want <laughs> songs like hero songs are great, and like group songs are, are always wonderful, but there is just something about a good villain song. So when you say villain song, what do you mean by that? I guess it's kind of the shadow of the I want song. It's a very, um, like, this is what I want and it's evil, as opposed to this is what I want and it's whimsical and wonderful. Um, and I, I just really, really love a good diabolical <laughs> evil song. Yeah. Um, 
the first time I played an antagonist was at a showstoppers showcase and we were doing uh, Great British Bake Off as the setter. Oh god. And I hadn't been in it for about three scenes and then uh, Andrew Pugsley, uh, who's narrating it, brought me in as the antagonist, as the evil kind of person on Bake Off. Were you Paul Hollywood? I didn't want to say Paul Hollywood. <laughs> well, the thing is, I've never actually watched Bake Off. <gasps> But I've, but the thing is, I don't feel I need to because I've just been around it often yeah. enough that I've kind of absorbed it. So I felt I played what I imagined Paul Hollywood to be like, and it was just me going around and just like being horrible to people, which I do neither in real life nor on stage usually. <laughs> so it was such a such a joy to do, and it really helped the production, and it was just you know a really lovely thing. And so I practiced being horrible. Yeah, I think it's it's really hard to be horrible on stage sometimes because you kind of forget that everything you do on stage as an improviser is a gift to the other yes, performer. Yes. So if you're horrible to them, that's just as much a gift yes. as if you're lovely to them. Yes. And as long as you're not bullying them as an improviser, yes. Yes. then you should like trust them to like react appropriately when you're horrible to them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But sometimes you're just like, no, it's... I'm a lovely person. I want to play lovely people it's on my stage. my fellow teammate. I don't want to yeah. take over their allotment or... Oh, I do, I do. Now, now <laughs> oh, yes, I want to play an antagonist that just wants to take over the lobby. Yeah, as you say, it's much better to be, you know, hot or cold, but lukewarm is, is the least helpful thing that you can be in those sort of situations. Yeah. Um, so you'll have your scenes, so you'll have the opening, you'll have um, the heroes I want, you'll maybe have a bit of comic relief, you'll have the antagonist's uh, antagonist song. How do you then start reincorporating it? How do you... How do you sort of go to the next, what's next? Well, normally it tends to be pretty, um, so after our first three scenes normally, um, it tends to be pretty freeform. Right. Um, so normally what will happen is the protagonist will come back and the story will begin to advance. Um, one actually kind of interesting thing that we've had recently is that we found that we'll, we've sort of subconsciously gone into a quite a formal Harold structure. Oh, right. Um, which I... I I think is it can really work, but um, we've all sort of gone like, oh, we need to like mix it up immediately, like quite soon after the three beats, because otherwise, what ends up happening is you have the protagonist like singing about what they want, the villain sings about what they want, comic relief sing about something silly, and then the protagonist is there again, but nothing's really right, changed right. or like. I think yeah, we just it's it's um, a matter of being a bit bold with choices and yeah. just being like okay, so I'm the baddie, so I'm going to go on now and do some bad stuff and just like really really mixing up. But yeah. one of the things that I really like about um, improvising with rhymes and with missing more broadly as well um, in jams and workshops is that it does tend to be quite freeform after a point. So right, once yeah. you've got all the information out, it's just like right now like we are going to increase the fun and yes. just muck about and trust yeah, yeah, that the yeah. audience is having a good time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, So uh, once, once you've done that, how do you bring the narrative to a close or the Herald or whatever you're doing? How With do you bring skill it to a and aplomb. Brilliant, that's good. That's all I need to know. I just wanted to check. I presume that would be the case. Um, yeah, so we, I mean, obviously it's, it's hugely dependent on the story. Um, one thing we've kind of been experiencing without even really discussing it, but experimenting with um, more recently, because obviously we've got the Halloween show coming up, um, is having musicals that don't necessarily end happily. Because oh, right. our default tends to be we we resolve the issue like through callbacks and through various bits. Um, and just in rhymes, the villain uh, tends to be redeemed more right. so than anything yeah, else. Yeah, like yeah, They yeah. tend to realise the error of their ways and become friends with, or whatever, with the protagonist which is great and it's very musical theatre. 
But um, we did a run actually on um, on Tuesday um, where I was the villain because I'm as I said I'm not great with playing villains, so I was like. Oh, no one's been the villain yet. Okay, <laughs> it's my time. Um, and yeah, the, like the it wasn't it, it wasn't the best run we've ever done, but it was like the, at the end of it, like the villain failed, and I think uh, yes, yes, I died. Oh right. Um, so and then it, it kind of changes the dynamic of the ending song because yeah. our ending song tends to be quite a big group number. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. just by having the plot be resolved, the um, cast tend to all end up back on stage. Yes. Um, or they'll come on as um, in the back, but in this particular one, it was um, it was really interesting because it had ended with a death, and even though it was a death of the bad guy, it was yeah. a bit like, oh, we can't quite go into a happy, yeah, happy, yeah, yeah, everything yeah. is great number. Yeah. Um, so that's really really fun to experiment with. Yeah, that sounds but, pretty powerful. Yeah, well, that's the thing I like about rehearsals um, for improv, and that I think I can sometimes forget is that like rehearsals are kind of designed for you to fail a little yes. bit, like. You shouldn't be afraid to try stuff and to have it yes. not go quite as well as you'd hoped. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I actually always find it much more helpful when shows go badly in rehearsal. So, um, for instance, in the one on Tuesday, there was like moments where I should have really got in and been the bad guy, but I was just like, no, wait, let's see where this scene is going, and I'll, I'll maybe go in in a minute where I should have just been assertive and been like, boom. Yeah. But I think that's the thing. I, 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 yeah. Just, Improv, you kind of need to be a little bit cocky and a little bit assertive. Otherwise, yeah. you will just stand at the sidelines all the time. But it's easy to get wrapped up going, yeah, this is really interesting. I'm really enjoying it. Oh, oh my God. Yeah, yeah. The amount of times I've forgotten that, I'm, that I'm in the show. Like, uh, it, well, I mean, I suppose that shows that you're in the right group because if you're always going, oh, this is awful, uh, then that would be awful. Um, so, yeah, you mentioned rehearsals. How often do you rehearse? Uh, once a week. Brilliant. And... What's the sort of setup? Do you have a particular format you follow, or it really it depends if we've got any shows coming up. So um, we tend to really um, like do quite a few runs in the weeks up to shows, um, which it, which is really really useful because it kind of gives you a chance to play um, opposites of what you do a bit. Right. Um, so for instance, I I think it's never been an official rule, but if for instance you were. A, a protagonist in the first run then you would probably try and play a more supportive role yeah, in the second yeah, run and uh, it gives a chance for everyone sense. to play against their defaults and play against their types a bit yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and often we'll like experiment with new song structures um, and occasionally like we'll try and develop some short form games for like pub sets and stuff hmm. so we recently started doing charity singles oh yeah with yeah, yeah, rap yeah. breaks oh I, I really want to do more improvised rap. Yeah, I'm terrible at it. But I was going to really, say, I was really going to say, I probably thought you had natural flow. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't. I wasn't going to ask you to do any because that's very much a rule on the podcast: is that we talk about improv, we don't do improv. Yeah, it's the Londoner in me, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> um, yes, I did uh, when I did a hoopla uh, improvised musical course. We did uh, a charity single as the climax uh... of our showcase, and I thought. Um, it's a big Steve Rowe thing where he says, you know, just work on one thing. Don't try and remember everything to do with improv, just try and work on one thing. And I slightly changed that and I just said, right, to myself, if I do nothing else tonight, I'm going to do the rap during the charity song. And weirdly enough, there wasn't a lot of competition. <laughs> I strode forward and nobody else was stranding forward to do the rap. And I'm like, I can't remember what it was now, but um, it was just, it was so much fun. And, you know, I'm not the world's greatest rapper. I mean, contrary to what you might have heard, I'm not. I'm not. 
surely not. Some, some people say some people say I am, and if they want to say that, that's fine. Uh, my um, favourite idea for uh, improvised rap is that you know you have rap battles where you say terrible things about the other rapper. Yeah, I'd like to flip that and just have one where you're really complimentary about the other one. That's a really good idea. And just, you know, say, you know... See what I did there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oh, you got me. Uh, and just say, you know, I really appreciate, you know, the work you do in the community, that sort of thing. <laughs> Your hair looks really good today. Exactly. That's that just a lovely... It's an inherently comic, but also a really loving and beautiful kind yeah. of thing to do. <laughs> So, yeah, where does your love of um, improvising rap come from? Oh, God. <laughs> Hamilton. <laughs> like, hugely, hugely <laughs> Hamilton. We, um, Miss Imp invited Susan Harrison up oh, for yeah, a workshop yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, a few weeks ago, and, and it, it was brilliant. Um, I, I spoke to her afterwards and I recorded it um, for the improv podcast I'm working on. All oh, right, we'll talk about that in a minute. You're <laughs> lucky. Um, but, yeah, she was talking, um, like, off... Um, like kind of off podcast because I was just like really like grilling her about all the show stuff and stuff oh, yeah, I found yeah, it so yeah, interesting yeah. and yeah just it must be so difficult to be like oh suddenly like rapping <laughs> musicals is really really mainstream and like every show that was getting suggested I saw them um, in Edinburgh this year and yeah that was one of the ones that was suggested and they were just oh, they were just so great at it Yes, um, having spoken to Duncan Walsh-Atkins, uh, the musical director, uh, he was saying how actually that's fine, getting Hamilton all the time is fine because it's so rich and there's so many things you can pull from it, mm. you can have that every night and there's still something fresh that you can do. Yeah. Um, whereas, where, whereas with, you know, Cats or West Side Story, <laughs> it's harder to be enthusiastic about those things. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned Hamilton. Are you keeping up with musicals that are around? Is that something you've done since you've been improvising, or did that? That's just a love you have anyway. I think yeah, it's just a love I have anyway. Um, I've always been really, really into theatre and musical theatre. I, I did it um, before improv, and then when I took a couple of year break from improv, I did a lot of theatre and musicals then. Oh wow! Um, and so yeah, I've just always kept up with it, and yeah. um, I think. Just for me personally, like, I know plenty of improvisers who only do improv or only do stand-up comedy and they're brilliant. Um, but for the style of improv I like to do, which can be like quite emotional and quite grounded in reality, I, I always try and keep up with what's going on in like musicals and yeah, theatre yeah, yeah. and stuff. So, um, I'm, I'm actually the opposite. I'm a, a complete convert to musicals. There's an, I never liked them. And I thought, I can't understand this, why are they singing all that sort of nonsense? And then I started improvising and something clicked in my brain. I thought, oh, that's what they are. <laughs> that's how they work. And now I love them and I listen to Encore Radio all the time. And I just, you know, I can't get enough of them. Yeah. Um, but say, uh, say that wasn't me, but for a listener who wants to get up to speed with musicals, maybe they want to improvise musicals or anything, what would be your three key musicals? that they should listen to? Oh, oh, that's really, really tough. I'm asking the tough questions. That's really tough. Well, name me three musicals that you like. <laughs> oh, that's easier. Yeah, I could do that. Um, well, I'd probably say, like, you have to listen to a Stephen Sondheim. Yeah. Um, and my favourite, without a shadow of a doubt, is Sweeney Todd. I, I just love it. But probably if you're looking to get into musicals, then Into the Woods is, yeah. is the one to listen to. Because it's just, it's got the balance of, like, fairy tale, light-heartedness, musicality, and really really dark stuff as well yes. whereas 
Sweeney Todd is just all that. And, <laughs> and I love it. Like, don't get me wrong, it's my favourite musical. Um, but yeah, I think Into the Woods is probably a good one to listen to for that. And then I, I do think it's worth going back to the super, like, cheesy, like, Disney-esque early day. So stuff like The Sound of Music yeah, is yeah, yeah, just yeah. a really, really good starting point if you want to know stuff about musicals. And Julie Andrews is just beautiful, amazing, wonderful woman. Um, I say that as though I've met her. I've not met Julie Andrews. <laughs> I'm sure all of those things are true. <laughs> but yeah, me and Julie, we go way back. Um, and I'd also just suggest like looking at who's won Tonys and who's won awards and following through on a couple of songs from them because what will happen is you will just find one that really, really connects with you. Um, and yeah, well, for my final one, I'd say title of show. Oh, um, which is, it's an off-Broadway musical about four people putting on an off-Broadway musical. Right, okay. And I normally really struggle with meta-theatre because I just think it's so easy, but it is just, it's so clever and rich and varied in what it does, and there's so many different styles of song, and it's just, it's so heartfelt because it's about all the relationships that they share while doing this, and it's all just so grounded in reality, like it's... Um, there's a song called A Way Back to Then, which is all about this woman singing about how she's just enjoying being in this show. And it just makes me tear up every time I listen to it because it makes me think it, it's how I feel doing improv. Right, yeah, Like, yeah, just yeah. the sense of being part of something and being yeah. part of a community. Um, and, yeah, so title of show, Sound of Music, and Into the Woods slash Sweeney Todd. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> so when you're performing uh, with uh, rhymes, you don't ask for a genre. That's just something... That's, yeah. No, sometimes it's kind of informed. Um, so if we get like a really, really genre specific title, then we, yeah. so we've had a few like ones with tangos and <laughs> more adventurous musical styles in there. Um, but it's, yeah, it's a really, really interesting way of doing musicals. Um, but I, I think we tend to focus more on the story yes. and more on the characters rather right. than yes. the style of music. Yes. Um, but the approach that we tend to follow is, I know that someone really famous has said this, and I can't remember who it is, but um, like singing is what you do when words are no longer enough, oh, yes. when the emotion yes. gets to a point where it's too, it's too much to just be conveyed by words alone, so yeah, you have yeah. to start singing. Yes. Um, and I, I just, I think for, for us personally, that's a better way of approaching it rather than being like, we're going to do this song and we're going to do it in the style of Avenue Q. Right, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which is another one you should listen to. Yes. <laughs> um, I have heard of Avenue Q. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to sing the one line that pops into my head. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, yes, brilliant. Uh, that's, that's really interesting. Thank you. Um, so you mentioned you're doing a podcast. I have to say, I heartily discourage this. <laughs> But if you uh, must persist in this endeavour, <laughs> just tell us what what's that all about. Oh, rivalry! This <laughs> scene um, ain't big enough. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, my podcast called my podcast is called um, Improv Treehouse, and the name comes from I kind of wanted to convey the idea of it being like a secret kids club and like a Saturday morning cartoon type nerd fest thing. Right. Okay. Um, and the I what I really want it to be is. Um, getting troops together and sort of recording them talking to each other. Wow. Um, and the idea comes from, um, there's a troop in Nottingham, um, so Rhymes is one troop and another one is Vox Pops and they're a brilliant Armando team. Um, and I was just in the pub with them, listening to them talking about a rehearsal they'd ha just had in like really, really early days. And just without like sort of participating a little bit, but mostly just listening to them and just finding it so interesting yeah, yeah, and yeah. like it was really an insight into how troops function um 
So I, I really want it to be more like a conversation between people in the same troupe that's occasionally prodded by an right. enigmatic and charming host. <laughs> yes, well, if you find one of those. <laughs> um, yeah, no, that, sounds, that does sound a really good idea. Um, the reason that I haven't done that is that it's hard enough organising for myself and a guest to be yeah. in the same room at the same time, never mind trying yeah. to get... Um, you know. Yeah, well, mine um, mine is mostly I think going to be fortnightly at least at least to begin with because um, otherwise it is just going to get overwhelming. Um, but one particular thing I really want to encourage with it um, is like as, as sacrilegious as this is to say on the Improv London podcast <laughs> is encouraging the idea that there is improv outside of London. Um, so I know. Sorry, I'm doing my <laughs> shock face once again, failing to remember this is an audio format. I'm doing my sarcastic shock face. <laughs> Um, but yes, yeah, so like the Birmingham Improv Festival is in a couple of weeks yes. and we're going up to perform, Rhymes are going up to perform in that and um, we're perf performing alongside Jumprov. Oh, right, um, and they are the, I don't know if they're the UK's, but they're definitely the Midlands. I think they're the UK's first black, Asian and minority ethnic improv team. Right, there's also New Zealand, uh, the UK, well, there <laughs> it's, not, it's, not, it's not competition, it's good. It's good yeah. that there are two. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, so they're, um, like, I'm doing, going to be recording with them as well cool. and like asking all about that. Um, but like, there's just loads of troops that I didn't really know existed until I started researching them. And there's yeah. like, you know, in Norwich and Birmingham and Leicester and all over the place, there's just loads of improvisers doing really, really brilliant work. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. while I think it's, you know, the London scene is vibrant and it's brilliant and, oh my God, there's an improvised Twin Peaks, that sounds amazing. <laughs> but there's also like loads of stuff going on all around the country. Um, one of my best friends who I did university level improv with now lives in Brighton and he's involved with two troops there with um, Off the Cuff, Off the Cuff and Blanket Floor. Oh right, yes. Um, and they do like really, really great like long form and short form and brilliant, brilliant stuff. Yeah, yeah. And I just, I kind of want to increase the visibility of groups like that. That like, great. Yeah. And like not being afraid to like travel around a bit and meet people and see the kind of shows that they do. Yeah. Um, and yeah, like just loads of stuff that I didn't realize was out there doing loads of different things. And ha having a podcast is a one food excuse to meet up with people and talk about improv. And it, <laughs> I do find it weird that it's like, I would find it odd to just approach people and say, oh, hi, can we just meet? to talk about improv but if I say hi can we meet and then I'll record what we say and I'll share it on the internet and suddenly that's normal that's fine that's the world we live in today yeah oh, a strange place we live in today <laughs> yeah definitely but it's brilliant it's a brilliant platform I am um, yeah I discovered improv podcasts about a couple of years ago and I just fell down the rabbit hole completely yeah, yeah. but um but I, I very much agree with you in the terms of like performance in podcasts because I think that can work brilliantly yeah um, like improv for humans, they do. I, you probably they do yeah. that brilliant thing where they get in um, musicians, and then they play um, a song, and then the improvisers do scenes inspired by the songs. Yeah. And that works great over podcast format because like you can really focus in on the songs and like also really focus in on the scenes. Yeah. Um, and a few people in Nottingham were like, "Oh, so was there going to be performance opportunities with it?" And it's like, <laughs> I just, I, I don't know. I think it's it, it's really interesting to hear people talking about improv and about why they love it and I think that's enough to sustain itself because I know what would happen I'd get people in and be like wow that's an incredibly interesting story you just told anyway here's whose line take some lines from a hat and <laughs> see what happens I think oh yeah I I I have I, yeah I'm hesitating uh, no I, I do have trouble listening to recorded improv I just I don't find it very satisfactory 
and I've yet really to kind of really clearly work out why that is. I think if you're there and you're seeing it being created, you're part of it. Whereas if it's created and you're not there, I don't know. Does that extend to you with like TV as well? Or is it just over audio? In what way? So like if you are watching Who's Eyes It Anyway on TV, yeah. do you find that you enjoy that less and you find that less satisfying? Or is it just if you're hearing audio that you're like finding it less satisfying? Um, oh, I started interviewing you now. It's good. You're very good. <laughs> you're very good. I see why you should have your own podcast. You do. Um, I, I don't normally like it when people switch uh, the uh, tables because I'm much better asking questions than I answering them. Um, I think with Who's Line, uh, it's so edited. Yeah. You know, I can't remember how long it is that they recorded for to make each half hour episode. So I think maybe if it's edited tightly, then it can still be entertaining. I don't yeah. know. I think I in um, America the way they do it is they record like a three hour batch with the same improvisers. Doesn't that and then sound they edit in, Yeah, they edit it into like three episodes depending yeah. on how well it went. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's, what a time to be alive. Who's lines it anyways back in the US? Come yes. on, UK. <laughs> Although at least you can watch the classic series on, you know, on Channel 4 website now. It's all there. You can go back. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. If can you? Yeah, if you go to the Channel 4 website. I must go. <laughs> watch it all. And it's really interesting, you know, because I watched the first episode. And it's like, when I watched the first episode, I'm sure I didn't know who Sondheim was. Yeah. Jesse Lawrence does a brilliant Sondheim song, which oh. was now I understand. But at the yeah. time, I'm like, well, it's amazing. She's making up a song. I don't really get the genre, but it's witchcraft. Still witchcraft. <laughs> um, you're also forming a new group. Yes, um, it is as yet untitled. Um, so it's going to be Miss Simp and I think the Midlands, but I'm not sure. Um, it's yeah, it's going to be an all-female Harold team. Um, so it, basically, what I really want it to be is quite um, emotional, relationship-driven. Harold's like in a very in the very traditional structure so ABC group scene ABC group scene um, and yeah I just because don't get me wrong like the improv scene is getting really diverse and it's wonderful and there's like more women involved and like with Jumprov there's increased diversity all across the board um, but in Miss Imp now there's enough of a all-female improv community that I think it's kind of like it's just a really interesting chance to do something a bit different mm -hmm. and see if any like what kinds of different improv emerge and just create a real sort of safe space for the women because I mean especially what's going on in the news at the moment with that awful executive man whose name I cannot remember which is awful I can we're not going to mention it okay yeah yeah that was a choice that I forgot his name. <laughs> um, but yeah I just think it's it's really important to do as much as we can to like encourage the visibility and diversity of the, of the improv community and mm. that starts with creating groups that fill those sort of needs mm. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm holding auditions for it next month. But yeah, I, it's also, I, I just think the great thing about, that I'm already discovering even just through planning um, rehearsals is just, it's quite easy to set up your own troupe to do the kind of improv that you really love doing. Yes. Um, and I'd encourage anyone to, to do it and just see what happens and see if you can find like-minded people to be interested in. Um, so for instance, like one thing that, that, one of the very first shows I did was entirely monologues, like improvised monologues. And I hate be, like, being on stage by myself, I get terrified. Um, but having that as one of the first shows I did was a really, like a kind of core skill that I learned to just be comfortable improvising with just yourself in the audience. And I think a lot of troops and a lot of 
because improv is a collaboratory and it's mm. teamwork and that's great but there is something very powerful about being able to hold the stage by yourself yes um, so yeah one thing that I really want to work on is like having a Harold that's like five people so like two people in an A scene two people in a B scene and a one person in a C scene and being able to sustain wow. an entire beat of the show to themselves yeah um, which is something that is terrifying, but also just like if you can do it, then it's the world is your oyster. Yeah, yeah. I had some experience of that, not deliberately, but I was at the Duck Duck Goose Jam, and um, everyone else had left the stage, and there was just me. And I'm like, well, I've sat here for a bit now. I can't now just leave. I just need to tough this out. And you know, I just incorporated things that people had brought on, and then it was like I hadn't planned to do that, but it was really satisfying. Yeah thinking oh I can just sit there and I didn't do very much I didn't feel I needed to do very much and just reincorporate some of the things that have been in the scene and actually mm. you know it was really satisfying I thought yeah, yeah. well that's the thing I, I tend to find about um, like when when you're on the stage by yourself the audience is just half the time so impressed that you're on the stage by <laughs> yes. yourself yes. that that will sustain them and um, yeah I've, I think we were sort of we touched on it off camera um, <laughs> but yeah I've been reading a lot more improv theory books yeah. um, I've, I've well and truly fallen down that rabbit hole <laughs> um, I've ordered Katie Shute's book and oh, I'm so excited brilliant. it's brilliant I've started it um, uh, yes. yeah, it's but, really really good oh, I'm really really looking forward to that yeah, yeah. Um, but just yeah I've been reading so much stuff and I think it's really interesting learning about improv through reading it yes. and a lot more theory yes um, but as long as I think as long as you're doing it accompanying like actual practice yes and it's fine um, I like to read a lot of improv books because that's just the way I am because I like to do my homework um, but also it's helpful because then when you're in a workshop it's the practical side of things that you're working on and if you've got a good ground of the theory already you can sometimes take that on board a bit more quickly because in the um, the workshop I want to be practicing and I want to be doing whereas you know if I'm just reading that's when I can try and take in the theories and stuff like yeah that. yeah I am um, and it's for me it's when you find something that you think it, uh, that's perfectly expressed mm. um, so for instance with me I was reading um, Keith Johnston's Improv Storytellers oh yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, which is an interesting read he's a, <laughs> he's a character he is a character um, but he said this thing in there where it was it, it, oh, this is not going to be an exact quote at all it's no. going to be a complete butchering but he said something like you shouldn't be afraid of silence because you can hear the audience laugh but you can't hear the hairs on their arms standing up yeah, 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 in like yeah. as as they react to something that you do. Yeah. And I think that's something that I really want to carry forward in the kind of like if with this troupe like that a laugh is absolutely brilliant. A laugh yes. is wonderful. A laugh is life sustaining when you're on yeah, stage. Yeah, yeah. But if you can get an R yes. or you can get like a shocked gasp yes. or you can get just an audience that is comfortable in complete silence, yeah, yeah, yeah. then that's something really really special yes. and I think that's something that shouldn't be shied away from so much in improv. Definitely, yeah, yeah. Having that theatrical, emotional honesty, um, yeah, no, I, I definitely agree with that. Is there another book? Another book to go over your top three? I'm going to say Katie. Uh, and I'm, 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 I, it's, I'm, I'm asking the tough questions today. I realise it's hard spot here for your top three books. My top three improv books. Yes. Okay, that's presum more relevant. You know, yeah, about how, I love, how I love Harry Potter for the next ten minutes. We could do a separate podcast about that. I'm not. Oh, I'm not going to lie. I really, really love um, 
oh my gosh, it's UCB's book. I'm oh, actually the comedy handbook. Yes, I'm reading it right now. Yeah. It's in my bag over there. I think ninety percent of the reason that I love it is because it's just beautiful. Like there's yeah. there's pictures and it's gorgeous. Um, so it's, and it's I love it when books take things back to basics, but they're not patronising. Like it's literally yeah. explaining what a platform to scene is and what yes and is but it's it's just written in such an accessible but yes. like not patronizing way i love that one yes. i think i think that's a brilliant book and even though the ucb approach isn't really my approach i'm not very good at being funny or having sketch-like situations just having it that approach explained to me so clearly has really helped my understanding of it and I think yeah. it's invaluable so yeah, yeah and also stuff like I've, I've done Harold's before but having it stripped completely bare and just explained in um, like layman's terms is just brilliant yeah um, I've got like a list of ones that I need to read so this list is probably going to change like Katie shoots will probably be up there but I haven't got it yet <laughs> um, it, it will be there yeah be there. I'd say probably my uh, I do like Keith Johnston, even though he's a character, and his list of how to play men and how to play women at the back of his book <laughs> made me physically like shake with rage. <laughs> but we'll move past that. Um, I actually probably my, my favorite improv book is the TJ and Dave. Oh, improvising at the speed of oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I, I love that book. Yes. Um, and I I really enjoy examples in improv. Yes. Um, I can completely understand why people don't because it's you know it's happened on a stage and then it's gone forever and that's the beauty of improv. But I personally really really like it when a book uses examples and they just they the examples they use and the way that they write. I I really really love Teacher and Dave. I saw them at Soho Theatre yes. this year and it was j just incredible. It was and that book is one of the few where I've had a pencil and I've just underlined stuff and I've underlined more stuff and I realise I'm just probably underlining all of it so I should probably not underline all of it but you know I'd be writing the margin going yes yes I agree yes 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 and yeah I saw them uh, this year as well and I just thought wow yes yeah. it's easy when you're involved in improv a lot it's easy sort of to take it for granted and not quite see it as a chore but you know and then you see something as effortless, seemingly effortless like that, and you think, wow, that is what, you know, it's not the only thing that can be done with improv, but it's like, what an amazing thing Yeah, that it is. reminds you that it's an art form. Yeah, I yeah. think you, you kind of, you know, when you're playing in a pub with your mates and, you, you know, you're occasionally making the odd dick joke in a musical, you, you can't, you forget that it is actually like this incredible, uplifting, yes. beautiful, brilliant thing that we're all a part of, and it's yes. a wonderful community. And just, I don't know, reading that book was like, really really grounding and humbling yeah. um we've got a new um two-prov in nottingham called the clones which has got uh liam who's in rhymes against humanity and lloydie who's um, also in rhymes against humanity in the may days right, yes, yes, yes. done all sorts of stuff and they do that sort of style and, and they're just terrific makes me obscenely jealous <laughs> I, I used to do a two-prov and i re i do really miss it like it's there's just something so about having one other person on stage to take care of and that's it and not having to worry about any overarching story that is just so it's just a different way of doing things and it's so organic and just brilliant yes I love um, you know performing with Bryn in Dr. Tuprov because well you only have to listen to one other person <laughs> I mean that's just going to make it a lot easier um, and also organising rehearsals and shows is just a lot easier you know oh, yeah. Bryn can you make it yes okay we'll do it then we don't have a keyboard we don't need a keyboard <laughs> good point <laughs> Um, so, if someone was to appear on stage with you in a group or in a jam, uh, what could they do to delight you? Ooh, 
Oh, what a good question. Oh, I'm going to steal that question. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've stolen it from Jules Munns uh, <laughs> of the nursery, where we are now. So, um, and it's, it's, it's a hard question, so I'm just going to sort of fill. <laughs> um, no, I'm, I'm a big believer in um, gifts yeah. in improv. Um, and I'm a very big believer in um, like finding the meaning gradually in a scene. Right. Like some forms of improv don't lend themselves to that. Musical theatre, you tend to want to get to the point as soon as possible and like make everything in the world as clear as possible. Um, but one thing that I really love is when someone else makes a really bold emotional choice at the top of a scene. Right. And we sort of find the reason for that gradually. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, So for instance, like starting the scene by laughing. Yeah. Like it's, it's, I, was, I did a scene recently um, and I cannot remember who it was with or in what context. But they just looked at me and started the scene by laughing, <laughs> and I just remember thinking, like, what a, what a brilliant initiation! Like, yeah. you've kind of assumed you can assume so much from that. You, there's so much like wealth in there, and it's like immediately establishing a relationship and a rapport without at- uttering a single word. Yes. Um, so yeah, and strong emotional choices at the top of the scene because, because um, I could just be like, yep. Yeah, this person's got it. I can. We can just relax now and just see where this goes and like ride the wave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I love that. That in that laughing at the beginning of the scene is a particularly lovely one. Um, my, the thing I struggle with is just trying to hold on to that and mm. not have that and then sort of drop it. Yeah. And then it's, it's holding on to it while moving the scene on. But uh, that's a lovely, uh, a lovely way to start a scene. Um, so you talk about gifts. So if you've been in a group with somebody for a while. Um, do you prefer to delight them or to mess with them when you're on stage? Oh, I'm a, I'm really not good at messing with people. No? I really, <laughs> I'm really not very good at messing with people. Um, I, I, I'm one of my favourite things to do is to make it look like I'm messing with someone when I'm actually not. Right, okay, um, let's unpack that. So, for instance, we had a show recently um, where someone said, what are the seven rules that there are seven rules within this club and then everyone was like what are the seven rules and um, the improviser Jeanette um, she's in Rhymes Against Humanity she's brilliant uh, she listed the seven and then in a subsequent scene she went what's rule four she was like it's like they say in rule four and I just ran on from the back line and I was like excuse me miss I'm a reporter can you just remind me what rule four is <laughs> and the entire audience was like oh 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 but I was like no I I know Jeanette she like She'll have remembered it. Oh, she would have remembered and it. She, and she, I don't know if she remembered it exactly, right, but she remembered yeah, yeah, yeah. it close enough and the audience had forgotten it. So the, they went nuts. They wow. were like, oh my God, she's remembered. Amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, that's the kind of messing where it's like, I, I very much enjoy where it looks like I am dropping someone in it, but yes. in my head I know that they've got it. Oh, that's lovely. It's lovely if you know that they will have remembered it. I mean, because there was a no-lose scenario, because if she's made something new up, the audience would also have found that hilarious as well. But yeah. yeah, if you know someone's strengths, and then you can come on and, yeah, that's a really lovely distinction of yeah, knowing someone well enough that you can seem like you're dropping it in them, but you know they've got it. Yeah. And you're actually that is a wonderful gift to let them show off how yeah you do want to just pimp someone into showing themselves off a bit sometimes it's like um in addition like lloydie's really really just uh, he's a fantastic improviser really good at solos Ah. so there's there's been a few times where people have just sort of 
walked off stage <laughs> and he's been like, well, solo. <laughs> and then he did that to me in last week's rehearsal. And I was like, oh, this is what it feels like. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, cool. Um, so big final question. Uh-oh. Uh, what is your signature move? What is it that you do on stage and they go, classic Brady, save the day again with a signature move, bringing it home, taking it to church, all that sort of business. Oh, my signature move. Um, another excellent question. <laughs> well, um, also, I asked this for two reasons. One is that other people can learn from it and then learn your signature move and adopt it. And also, uh, it means you don't get stuck because people might go, ah, that's Emily's signature move. She talks about it on the podcast. <laughs> so I'm, I'm forcing you to develop as a performer. Yeah. Um, I would actually, my, my signature move has remained unchanged since I started improv in 2011. Um, and I have been told off for it. Um, but my signature move is probably to have my character fall in love with another character. Oh, that's... Like, it, it is, but when you do it a lot, it's a bit like, it's, it's not a bad mood to have. But at the same time, I think it's, the, the tendency can be sometimes that I, that I have is I'm like, oh, my character doesn't have enough and there's not enough and maybe there's not enough emotion in the yeah. show maybe it's all quite like whimsical and quite chatty and i'll be like i'm going to ground this in emotion yeah. but the thing is there are there are so many ways to do that yeah. you can be you can be angry at someone you can find you can admire someone you can there's a million and one ways to play with improvisers and to heighten the emotional stakes yeah and while i think falling in love is is very musical theater yes, and it's it's a, it is a strong choice um, it is something that I go to a lot and it's right. something that I, it's kind of my default, Right. Okay. like, oh, my character hasn't got enough going on. Boom. I am now in love with this character. Um, like I was, I was playing a villain the other day for the first time in a while and my character ended up falling in love with the, the protagonist. I was like, damn it. Like, oh, that's lovely, I though. wanted to play a villain who <laughs> was just like evil and maniacal and now I'm in love. <laughs> Curses. Oh, I think I want that to be my signature move. <laughs> Thank you for being on the Improv London podcast. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> Thank you very much. That was brilliant. I made this. That's Improv! <laughs> <laughs>